0: open in a word of prayer, and then we'll spend some time in in the book this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins. We are just so very, very blessed with all that you've blessed us with. uh, It's amazing that you know our name, let alone that you would save us and give us so many things in your son, Jesus Christ. So as we look at these marvelous truths of of what you've blessed us with. We ask that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, that we would look at your word and see this wonderful, marvelous truth that we are accepted on the basis of the merit of Christ and not on our own works. We are just so very, very thankful that you have just lavished your grace upon us. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. So, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about justification by faith. Uh, This is one of my favorite subjects. Not just because I like it a lot. That's true. I do really like this subject. And we're going to describe what, and I'm going to define what what this means, justification by faith. But I I remember the first time that I really thought about the subject Was I was in Bible college, and the course that I was in, that all freshmen had to take, was called The Spiritual Life of the Christian. And I remember being in this class, and the professor spending half the time talking about this particular subject of justification by faith. And what this term means, and we'll see later on, is that on the basis of faith, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I am declared righteous, and imputed with the righteousness of Christ. So it is not on the basis of what I've done, or the merit of what I've done, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done, that I am accepted by God. That's it. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. And it was revolutionary from my mind, right? Uh, in, in my opinion, you understand this truth. There are a lot of passages that clear up. Your theology clears up. There are things that you understand. There's things that you will see in the scriptures. There's things that you will understand in your life. There's a lot of struggles that, man, you just understand this concept. It really is helpful. For me, one of the things that was really helpful, really, really helpful, as I've thought through this subject, not only in Bible college, but also as a pastor and a teacher and thinking about this concept for a long time, there's a lot of things that that this doctrine the gospel, has helped me think through. So for example, the, the, the number one thing is this, is that man is only right with God on the basis of what God has done, and I've apprehended that by faith. So what that means then is this has to be the most important message. That There really is no other message that equals or rivals this message. And so in my short ministry, as I've thought about this subject of justification by faith, This has kind of been like that little thing that sits on your shoulder and says, is that really helping people understand who they are in Christ? Is that really helping people understand God's grace? And there's been several times where I've looked at some of the stuff I've said and some of the stuff that I've done and thought, probably shouldn't do that because it doesn't promote God's grace. There's another thing. um, Man, as, as I think about my... Life as a believer, uh, there for a little bit, I struggled with the idea that I had to somehow gain God's favor. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt that. That as a believer, I must be obedient in order for God to like me, in order for God to bless me. When I understood the concept of justification by faith, I realized I'm already accepted. He's already declared me righteous. So what do. I, he already likes me. He already loves me. He, he's given me all of this. So why do I have to do all this other. runarounds? And why do I have to do all these other things. No I can now truly worship him. And my obedience is act out as an act of love. Because of what he's done. Another thing that's really helped me is, is also, too, when I when I think of some of the things that I used to do to try to share the gospel with people, a lot of it was just use car salesman techniques or cheesy, cheesy gimmicks. I, I now look back at those and go, yeah, that's that's not really... It's not really what you should have been doing. Uh, that, that really doesn't, there's really no benefit from that. And there, there's some times where we in, in the modern church talk about the gospel and use methods that are not consistent with God's word or consistent with the message and how grand this message is. And so when you understand this idea that a person is right with God on the basis of Jesus Christ, you just go, that's what we're going to talk about, Jesus. There's a lot of other things we could talk about. But do you understand what Jesus has done for us? Why can't we just glory in this? Why can't we just glory in what he says? There's a lot of other things that we could talk about. But I want to get to the text this morning in Romans 1:17. And Paul, in this passage, outlines what he's going to be talking about for the rest of the book. He's already outlined what he's going to be talking about. But here he kind of gets to the heart of the matter. He, he gets to the crux of the matter. And he talks about what the gospel reveals, right? And he talks about God's revelation. And, and the thing that he talks about when he's talking about what the gospel reveals and what God's word reveals is this very point, that we are declared righteous and imputed with the righteousness of Christ on the basis of faith, And we lead a life on the basis of faith. That's it. This is Christianity 101. This is ground zero for the believer. This is the thing that he's going to talk about for the rest of the book. So we're going to see two things from Romans 117. First, this revelation of God's righteousness by faith. Then we're going to see the revelation of God's word that we live by faith. Okay, so go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to read just a little bit above just so we can remember the context. So I'm going to start in verse 8. So notice what he says. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing, I make mention, or I, without ceasing, I mention you, excuse me. Always in my prayer, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. That I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So remember, as we spent time there in verses 8 through 15, we talked about how Paul wants to come to the believers in Rome. That's who he's talking to, the believers in Rome. He wants to come and he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage them. He wants them to grow in Christ. And how... Pray tell, does one grow in Christ according to Paul? Well, here he says, I want to come to you believers and preach the gospel to you. Meaning that it is the content of the gospel, as believers contemplate the gospel, that we then realize who we are in Jesus and how we're supposed to live based off of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We mentioned before that a lot of times we think of the gospel as a message for those who don't know Jesus. And that's true. The gospel is literally for them, but it is also literally for us. This is the thing that we glory in. And so the book of Romans is written to believers to help believers grow in their faith. This is not a gospel tract, as it were, that you just hand somebody the book of Romans and go, good luck. Though you could, right? It is God's word. But this is for us as believers. And he kind of goes through the nuts and bolts of salvation. And it's for this reason that that he wants to come and preach the gospel to the believers in Rome. that, That he then says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So he's going to come to believers who already know the gospel. And he says to them, this is my boast. I glory in the gospel. Why does Paul glory in the gospel? He gives several reasons. Remember in verse 16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful. What does it do? The gospel is the only message by which men can have a right relationship with God. That's what we're going to learn in chapters one, chapters two, and chapters three. No one knows God, no one does good, no one is righteous. And it doesn't matter what you do, you can never be right with God and you can never be righteous. But God in his great mercy sent Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross for our sins. And that when we place our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he then declares us righteous. We then have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And from that imputation of righteousness, we then can walk in a manner that's pleasing because the Holy Spirit's empowering us. So that's what the gospel does. That's what the salvation is, right? And it's that security, not only that I'm now saved now and that I'm being saved, being made more like Christ, but it's also the security that one day I will be with Jesus in heaven. That's what that salvation is. So Paul's not ashamed of this message because it's that powerful to bring about salvation. We talked about how universal it is, right? It's to everyone who believes. It's to the believer, It doesn't matter where the believer is born, doesn't matter who their dad is, doesn't matter what country they're born in, doesn't matter what kind of economic status, what the color of their skin is. None of that stuff matters. Why? Because the message of the gospel can go to anyone because everyone is a sinner, because everyone is separated from God. And Jesus came to provide a way for everyone. That's what he did. Now we get to Paul's second Reason of why, or we could say a further explanation of why he's not ashamed of the gospel. So, notice what he says here in verse 17 as he talks about here's this revelation the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. He says, For in it, well, what's the antecedent to it? What's he talking about when he says, For in it? Well, it's what he said before for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what he's been talking about. So, in the gospel, right? The gospel itself. The gospel by itself, the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So the question then is, what does Paul mean when he says righteousness of God? There is massive, massive, massive debate on this particular phrase, the righteousness of God. Let me share with you the three that that people believe. Number one, they think the gospel itself reveals the attribute of God's righteousness. So as I hear the gospel, what is it talking about? It's talking about how God is righteous. Some people go, nah, okay, it does. But that's not really what what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is he's talking about God's righteous activity. It, it, It talks about how God saves people. So God does righteous things. So in the gospel, I learn about how God does righteous things. The third view is, yeah, I mean, those two are true. But really what Paul's talking about here is that bestowal of righteousness on the believer, right? That because of the gospel, I now have that imputed righteousness. And so some of you are going, okay, well, I hear all that. But doesn't the gospel kind of do all of that, right? Like, like, I mean, isn't all of that kind of seen in the gospel, And that's kind of where I land, that this phrase is so big. It's kind of the the explanation of all the stuff that Paul's going to talk about later on. So, for example, as we're going to look through the book of Romans, we're going to see this Paul talking about the righteousness of God over and over and over again. And I think Paul kind of defines what he's talking about later on. Just quickly go with me to chapter 3. I want to show you that this is kind of what Paul has in mind. Chapter 3, if you just go to verse 21, notice here, Paul, Paul will say the same thing. He says, but now the righteousness of God, okay, so, so, so same term here, righteousness of God, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness of it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in this text, as he's talking about the righteousness of God, he discusses all of those things that we already discussed. It reveals the righteousness of God, that God himself is righteous. It demonstrates that he is, does righteous things. And it talks about the imputation of God's righteousness To the believer. In fact, chapter four, that's really what Paul has in mind. So when I see this phrase here in Romans 1:17, thinking of the rest of the book, I would say, yeah, it means that as I I learn about the gospel and as I hear the gospel, I am it reveals to me that God is just, God is the justifier, and that God is the one who imputes his righteousness to me. And in this book specifically, it is that last one that Paul focuses on. And so for me, that's kind of how I describe it, right? It reveals God as being just. It reveals as God being good. God doing righteous things. Oh, but friends, that's not all it does. Because in the gospel, I realize that I become righteous and given the righteousness of Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about, right? So that's what he means here when he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. It has the idea that this is something that's exposed. It's something that exposes something to us. It exposes. What does the gospel expose? It exposes our unrighteousness. I'm not righteous. It exposes his Righteousness. It it, it solves that great cosmic dilemma of we're sinners, but yet he loves us. How can we have a right relationship with him? And how can he maintain his justness? He maintains his justness, his rightness by making us and declaring us righteous on the basis that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And thus we're given the righteousness of Christ. That's that's the gospel. That's the venom of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. It's not just, here's one way to God. Here's a really cool story that we might want to tell somebody and have little kids color pictures about. No, this is the message. This is the faith. You remove this, you remove the whole thing. This is the foundation. You remove this, it's gone. The whole faith falls apart. Nothing stands. This is the bedrock. So for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. You and I learn about Jesus. We learn about his grace. We learn about this imputation. We learn about how not only are we declared righteous, but then we're constantly being made righteous because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, right? And then there's this next phrase. It's kind of interesting, the phrase that Paul uses here. When he says, from faith for faith. Uh, <laughs> once again, uh, there is a lot of different debate on what this phrase means. Uh, I'm, just going to sh- I'm not going to share with you all the different views because, in a sense, they all kind of mean the same thing. But really, what I think Paul's saying is he's saying this. It begins with faith and it ends with faith. So, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. It's by faith. That's it. Faith. Faith. That's it. Remember last week we discussed faith. We discussed what that means. That expectation of of things hoped for and that conviction of things not seen. It looks at the promises of God and it leans upon the promises of God and upon those alone and has no reservation of anything else. So, by faith, what's revealed? The righteousness of God. That which comes to me, that which is revealed, that which is exposed about God, his righteous ways, and how I can become righteous. So it's, it's almost as if Paul's saying, it's by faith, by faith alone, you understand the righteousness of God. That's it. Faith, that's it. Begins with faith, ends with faith. All about faith. Nothing but faith. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second as we've thought about these first 17 verses. Think how many times the Apostle Paul has mentioned faith in these first 17 verses. He does it at least five times, probably seven times, right? He uses this, this phrase over and over and over again. Why do I need to know that? I need to know that it's on the basis of faith and not on the basis of what I've Done right, it's not that it's it's on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done, right? That, that, That so faith is trusting in what He's done, it's not on the basis of me, it's on the basis of Him. It's on this trust, it's faith, 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 faith. Sometimes we think about this faith and we go, Look at the great faith I've had in Jesus, look at the great. Belief I have in Jesus. Think about my will and how strong my will is, how strong my intellect is that I've been able to convince myself and move myself to believe in such a great savior. If that's what you think, you have a terrible definition of faith because that's not what faith is. Faith is trusting in the promises of another that's what you're doing. It has nothing to do with you. It's not a basis of works. Trusting and relying on Jesus is in itself not a work because you've done nothing. You're trusting what he's done. And notice that it's not by faith you become righteous. It's by faith the righteousness of God is revealed. You realize something about him and you receive something from him. It's an alien righteousness. It's not a Inherent righteousness. It's not as if you believe. And then there's this inherent righteousness. That just crops out. It's this alien righteousness. Which comes to us. Which we apprehend on the basis of faith. You can understand. When you start learning this. That it's on the basis of faith. I'm declared righteous. Because of what God has done. How sometimes when you listen to people. You just go. I think you're misleading people. I remember one time as a kid, I was at a thing and there was a guy, I think he had really good intentions, but he said, I I want all of you to know Jesus and I don't want you guys to be a loser. So if you don't want to be a winner, come down and say this prayer. And then as the kids came down, he said, say this after me, dear Jesus, I want to be a winner, not a loser. And all the kids said that and he goes, now you are going to heaven that's not the gospel that's not the gospel those kids now thinking they're saved what are they trusting in i don't know they're a winner they're not a loser that has nothing to do with the gospel has absolutely nothing to do with the message of Jesus Christ, has nothing to do with the sinfulness of man and placing one's faith solely on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. You're not right with God. You need to be right with God, and you can only be right with God on the basis of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's salvation. That's what the gospel reveals, is this. And as we mature, we realize, wow, He declares me righteous. He secured me for eternity. So Paul will say later on, So therefore by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But there's more. Notice what Paul says next in this next passage. He he reveals something about God's word. About how this has always been the case. It has always been that the righteous live by faith. It has always been on on the basis of faith. Everyone is right with God on the basis of faith. Notice, he says, as it is written. So when you see that phrase, as, that means he is saying the same thing. He's quoting what he's about ready to quote in order to prove a point. And here he quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, right? And notice what he says here from the Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to do an exposition of the book of Habakkuk to understand this one particular phrase. But let me just say this. The book of Habakkuk is interesting, and you should read it when you go home. You should read the book of Habakkuk. It's, it's incredible. Here's what's happening. You have, you have Habakkuk, and he's looking at, his, he's looking at his, his country, his fellow countrymen, and he says, God, there is so much wickedness in Israel, so much When are you going to do something about it? When are you going to start cleaning up our country? Right? There's there's all this injustice. There's political corruption. There's all these types of corruption. God, when are you going to do this? And then when God reveals that he is going to do something and he's going to use the Babylonians to do it, then he has a whole new set of questions of, okay, I'm glad one is solved, but you're going to use a nation that's worse than us to punish us? How? Really? Can you can you reconcile this for me? And thus begins Habakkuk chapter 2. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, he 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 gives this image of him like like a watchman and he's like eagerly waiting for God's response. And God's response in Habakkuk chapter 2 talks about how yes, he's going to use Babylon to judge Israel. But Babylon itself will be judged. And he gives the basis of why Babylon will be judged. To show you this, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. So notice, Habakkuk 2.2. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain so he may run who reads it right so he's supposed to write it down publish it right let everybody see it let everybody take warning of what it says and then he says for still the vision awaits it's appointed time it hastens to its end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not delay so he's basically saying write it people will see it it might it might not happen tomorrow that doesn't mean it's not going to happen, okay? But then notice what he says next. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. Who? Whose soul? Babylon. He's talking about Babylon here. Babylon is puffed up, arrogant. And notice what it says. It is not upright within him. So here's this arrogance, self-righteousness. Here's this Here's this. Puffing oneself up like a tom turkey, right? That, that's what's happening here. He's puffing himself up. Look how good I am. Look how big I am. Look how right I am. Our cause is right. Look how just I am. So there's this self righteousness. There's this arrogance. There's this selfishness. And then notice, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Or as Paul puts it, the righteous shall live by faith. You see? The one is arrogant and puffed up. It, it, it relies on oneself. It, it looks at oneself and elevates oneself. And the contrast to that then is the righteous person. And what does the righteous person do? Number one, humble. It's not arrogant. It's not looking to oneself. But what is the what is the what is the righteous person doing? The righteous person is living on the basis of faith. And so Paul here in Romans 1.17, when he quotes this passage from Habakkuk, you understand completely what he's saying. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous doesn't live by their obedience. The righteous doesn't live by how many Bible verses they can quote or how many times they read or how many times they go to synagogue or how many times they went to temple or how many times they sacrificed the righteous live on the basis of faith. That's it. Faith. Faith. Nothing but faith. All faith. This is the way it's always been. By faith. And Paul's going to demonstrate it's by faith. In fact, he's going to, in, in later on in the book, we're going to see several times where he talks about people attempting to establish their own righteousness. And when they try to establish their own righteousness, they forget about the righteousness of God and therefore they don't think they need it because I myself am already right with him. I myself by what I've done am already in the right. I might do some bad things but I'm already in the right. Paul's response is no, 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 no. You're not right. You're just not born knowing God. It's on the basis of faith that you come to know God and you're right with him. Next week, we'll start going into this incredible argument. This so ends Paul's conclusion of the gospel. We're now going to go into this glorious explanation of what he's going to talk, what he's been meaning this whole time. We're going to go through the gospel of God. I hope that as we've went through these 17 verses, you already began to see the awesome grace of God. God. The awesome, awesome grace that's been lavished upon you. Hopefully, we're already beginning to not boast in our own ability because there is none. And hopefully, we're beginning to boast in the gospel. The gospel is our message. That's it. That's what we are about, the gospel. And hopefully, this passage is already starting to act like a little bit of a sensor over your mouth. A little bit of a sensor over your mind that you go... Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that we could dice up and categorize human beings. There's a lot of different categories we could put them in. Okay, whatever. The, the one that really matters to me, are they in Christ or are they not? And then, okay, now that I have this category, what's now the solution? Well, if they're not in Christ, I'm going to talk to them about Christ. And if they're in Christ, well, I'm going to talk to them about Christ. Right? We're going to fellowship in that. We're going to mutually encourage one another. Why? Because we want to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ based off of what He's done for us on the cross. This morning we have an incredible opportunity to once again think about this incredible gift that was given to us by Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. We have an opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come up and Greg to come up.